Well, it is good to be back with you um, after having four weeks off. If you are new, I'm Josh, one of the pastors. You might wonder, man, what did you do for the last four weeks? And uh, so here's what I did uh, for the last four weeks. One of the things that years ago, so uh, my wife and I, we planted a church in Tucson, Arizona in 2008. We were 28. We had three kids under three and a half. We had no idea what we were doing and about killed ourselves um, almost burned out, and when I was about 31, I was at, with a group of younger church planters, and there was an older pastor who was just kind of sharing kind of his words of wisdom, and he said, he's like, you need to live your life, you need to make decisions every single day in your life so that you just don't run into a wall and burn out, and I thought, well, that's really great advice. I was like, so I raised my hand, and I said, so how do you do that? <laughs> and he said, every summer, take a break go on vacation, take a step back from everything. And then he also gave some really just helpful things. He said, do some time of looking back on what you've already walked through. Spend some time looking forward on what God has next for you personally as a church. And I thought, all right, this is really simple. So went back that year, decided, all right, I'm gonna put this into practice. And ever since then, every summer, we have, as a family, have taken a month where we step back we play together, we sleep, we do fun things, we go on vacation somewhere. I spend some time just journaling and, and thinking through, and when I say journal, I, I just think. I don't write it out, so I'm not a writer. So if you're a journaler, you can judge me, but I don't write it out. Um, so I just think, and I just kind of process through like what God has brought us th through personally as a church. But then I also spend the last week of my break um, is what I call my forward-thinking dreaming week, where I just start to dream about what's next. I start to ask God kind of what, what's next for us? What, what do you have in store for us in terms of what do we preach on? Like what, what's coming up in the next year? And so for the last four weeks, that's what I've done. Now, here's what made this past year unique, besides the fact that we were in New England instead of Arizona, is for the two years before this, because of COVID and basically everything in the Western U.S. being shut down when we lived in Arizona during COVID, I didn't get to take my summer break in the last two years. So as we were driving... Um, and we made the decision to go to Florida. Everyone's like, why are you going to Florida? Like, it's so hot in Florida. Because we met family there, that's what you do. You meet family in Florida. And I found this out, this is really funny. This may, maybe this is a New, New Englander pulling my leg, I don't know. But he told me, he said, well, you know, now you're officially a New Englander. And I said, well, why? He said, because everybody in New England at some point has to drive to Florida. So I don't know. So apparently maybe that's it. So no, you can drive to Florida at some point, you'll be in. Um, but it was, it, it's an awful two day drive. Um, one of the days, we, we did 18 hours in one day. I wanted to go all the way, but I was told we weren't allowed, so we just did 18 hours. Um, but one of the things that we did, so we're getting in the car, and we're asking our kids, you know, what, you know, what are they doing about vacation and things like that? And, and one of our kids said, you know, I, I'm happy that we get to go on one this year because we didn't get to in the last two years. And so here's what this made us do. Because we had, you know, so much time in the car, um, one of the things Katie and I started to do is we started to just talk through, like we do on our break, kind of what's happened. What have the last couple of years been like? And I want you to think for a moment. What have the last couple of years been like for you? Have they been easy? Have they been hard? The funny thing is, like, as you think about it, there's been some, there's been some really good things that have happened in the last couple of years as we've walked through COVID and all the things that that has brought about and all the things that that has meant, there's been some good things that have happened. 
There's been some really hard things that have happened. There's been a lot of losses that have happened, a lot of changes. There's been a lot of maybe friends and family moving away or moving closer. There's been some new things that, that have come about that you maybe didn't expect. But a lot's happened since 2019. And Kay and I just sat there as we, we sat in the car and we started to talk through, you know, relationships that have shifted, relationships that changed, moving across the country, all that that's meant, sitting there and thinking, man, a lot has unfolded. And what's interesting is that leading up to this, I continued to have kind of the same conversation with a lot of people. It would go something like this, Josh, it seems like everything's kind of back, like people are going to concerts again and people are like you know going to restaurants again and it seems like everything's back like my office is back and school is back but like i'm exhausted like i don't feel back and then they'll get really quiet and they'll go do you think something's wrong with me and here's the thing I bet most of us resonate somewhere with that. Where we look around and we think, you know what, like, it seems like people are back and they're happy and, but I don't know, like, I feel pretty tired. I feel pretty forgetful. Like, I pick up my phone and I think, wait, who was I gonna text? And like, that seems kind of abnormal. I feel kind of, rudderless, like here, here's a really common theme right now I hear in a lot of, a lot of people, especially guys, like I, I, just, I just don't know what to do next. Like I, I don't, like I used to have ideas and dreams and like, but now like I just, I don't know, like I really don't really have energy for ideas and dreams and like, I don't know. And there's like kind of this like malaise that we kind of have and, and, and so here's what we've done. We've gone looking for the joy that we lost. Okay, so here's what people did in COVID. A huge number of people remodeled something. Like a huge number of people decided, fine, that's it. If we're gonna be at home all the time, then like we're finally gonna do this. And then they like broke out a wall, they took things down, and then they're like, hey, guess what? You can't get that. And so then you waited. Or you started a hobby. You were like, all right, this, finally. You know, Chris became a gardener, you know, he's, you know, or maybe you decided this, I'm finally gonna learn how to knit, or I'm gonna learn how to paint, like this is fine, I'm gonna write poems. Whatever your hobby is, maybe you picked up a hobby. Some people went and, just, and started an addiction or went deeper into a dark addiction. But we lost a lot of joy. In fact, the amazing thing is that numerous people have called this the summer of travel. In fact, one article called this the summer of revenge travel. Okay, like we are gonna punch COVID in the face for what they took, basically, kind of a thing. Like, I'm gonna get you back. Like, and so they said more people are gonna travel this summer than any summer ever. Will that get the joy back? Because here's the thing, if you think back to 2019, do you know what was true about you and tr true about me in 2019? is that some of us were really struggling to have joy, 
and enjoy life. Like some of you were miserable in 2019, or you at least you're sitting next to somebody who was miserable in 2019. Okay? Most of us in 2019 were exhausted. If you think back, most of us were exhausted in 2019. It's not like we had this enormous amounts of energy to pull from over the last couple of years of pivoting and changing. I mean, even think if you were here and part of Community Covenant before COVID happened. Before COVID happened, we really as a church did not do much online. Everything that we do online now happened during COVID. People are in here putting cameras in and figuring out how to do it. And, you know, we were rallying to figure out like how to do online church. And we were stopping this and starting this. And it just gets exhausting. And you did this at work. You did this for school. And now what's happened is that we're now in a place where we begin to look back and reflect on it and go, what happened and what did we lose and how do we move forward? And the thing is, one of the things that, that as we talked about it, here are some things that, that many of us lost. Our kids lost graduations and parties. We did drive-by parties. We lost rituals that are really, really important. Rituals matter. They matter. They, they mark things. Here's a huge one. We lost trust. And not just in institutions, but with each other. Because here's one of the things, and this is eroded relationships. If you step back and think about this, this is massive. For years, for over a year, we went into meetings and wondered, could you get me sick? And if you had older relatives or relatives with autoimmune issues, you thought, man, I don't know if I can go be with this person because I was out in public and I was with this person. What if I get them sick? And all of this anxiety and stress associated with that. And so then we start to sit next to people. And have you done this where someone like somewhere in the room coughs and you're like, right? I've done that. Like I go to the gym and, and like, I'm like, you know, like I'm trying to like hide a cough. I'm getting embarrassed about it. I'm like, I'm, you know, but this is, we've lost trust. And don't think for a moment that this has not affected relationships and had an impact. And here's the thing, the thing that you cannot miss is that we carry that somewhere. We carry that somewhere. We carry that deep in our souls. In fact, Ed Young, who won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting during the pandemic said, millions have endured years of grief, anxiety, isolation, and rolling trauma. He says some will recover uneventfully, but for others, the quiet moments after the adrenaline fades and normalcy resumes may be unexpectedly punishing. The founder and director of the Trauma Steward Institute said, as hard as the initial trauma is, it is the aftermath that destroys people. See, and the thing is, is that we're now in the aftermath. We're now in the aftermath. And there's a hard switch that happens now because many of us are built to pivot and work through crisis. We're built to like just hunker down and get it done. Like we're get it done people. You know, we'll work hard, just work harder. Like, okay, like I'll stay up later and you know, I'll make this happen. And, and, and we get really good. I got really good at carrying it all. And you probably did too. 
But then slowly, we look around and we just go, I'm kind of ready to tap out. And I don't know, I don't know what to do now. And so for me, one of the things that I did during my preaching break is I went back to one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it's a, it's a funny book of the Bible that, for a favorite, I know. But it's the book of Ecclesiastes. I remember years ago, I preached through the book of Ecclesiastes. It was, it was one of my favorite sermon series I've ever done. We'll, we'll do it someday. But the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the darkest, like, angstiest, like, just think of, like, indie rock, emo music, like, in the Bible, basically. It's like the cure, okay, in the Bible, okay? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, wrote Ecclesiastes at the end of, the, of his life, and, and he's just, he's angry, he's mad, right? And it's a reminder that the older we get, the, it's just really easy to become cynical and, and angry and to look around and be like, all oh, these young, just stupid kids, you know, what do they know? And, you know, it's real easy to get cynical. But in the middle of Ecclesiastes is actually a passage that I often use at funerals because it has so much to teach us. And Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. He says, the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth, that it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting since that is the end of all mankind and the living should take it to heart, that it's, that it's better to go to the house of mourning. Which, which seems odd, but then he says, because grief is better than laughter. For when a face is sad, a heart may be glad. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of pleasure. Now here's what's interesting, is that we do everything in our power to end up in the house of laughter. We do everything in our power to make sure that things feel good, that we stay away from, from painful situations, right? We avoid painful conversations at all costs. Many of us have, have known that we should have conversations just thought, you know what, maybe that'll just work itself out. If I just don't do anything, maybe that'll just change. He says, but grief is better than laughter. And the heart of the wise is in a house of mourning. See, but mourning, pain, Grief, sadness, lamenting, they're all part of life. They're all part of life, and they're all part of our spiritual journeys as well. In fact, some of us have this idea that we can't come to God with our grief, with our anger, with our laments, with our sadness. If you took the prayers in the Bible of questioning God, being angry at God, lashing out at God, grieving, lamenting. If you took those out of the Bible, our Bible would be a third shorter, easily. Almost the entire book of Psalms, which are all prayers, are prayers of lament and anger, prayers of vindication, of asking God to get back at somebody. And you might think, that doesn't seem very holy. Well, just because you pray it doesn't mean that it's holy. It's just that that's what's in you. You're getting it out. You're saying, God, I got to do something with this. And Solomon says it is important for us, to, for us to understand what happens in grief and in mourning. 
Because what we have done over the last several years is that we have gone from, from a crisis, we have gone what from some are calling worldwide trauma, and we've just said, okay, let's just try to be happy again. Let's just try to get back. Let's just try to pretend like none of that happened. Except the reality is, is that, and especially if you're a teacher, you know this as an educator, like you can't pretend that the last two years didn't happen to kids. You can't pretend that those things didn't happen. As a parent, you can't pretend that didn't happen to your kids, that those things weren't lost, that maybe they won't have a picture of that ritual that you have a picture of. We can't just pretend that that didn't happen, but yet we are going through life, and many of us trying to pretend that something didn't happen, that something wasn't lost. And Solomon says you, you can't pretend that. In fact, there is wisdom in mourning. There's a great lyric from a band, Sleeping at Last, where it says, death is a cold, blindfolded kiss. It is the finger pressed upon our lips. It puts an unwanted emphasis on how we should have lived. That death puts an unwanted emphasis on how we should have lived. Right, because when we sit at funerals, what do we do? We don't just think about the person there, we think about our life. Every one of us at a funeral sit there and we think, I wonder what people are gonna say about me. Are they gonna make up stuff like they're making up stuff about this guy? Like, I, I don't know. Like, are they gonna lie like they're lying about her? Like, because she was not that, she wasn't that nice. Are they gonna have anything to say? Some of us have sat at funerals and we thought, am I even gonna have half as many people at it? Is anyone gonna know? And what death does, what mourning does, what lamenting does, is it puts an emphasis on loss, on how we should have lived, on what we missed. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. It's all about lamenting. The whole book is just one verse after another of lamenting. Right? You, you look in the prophets, you see the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is just basically saying to God, the whole book of Jeremiah is Jeremiah telling God, you tricked me. That's the whole book of Jeremiah. Like, that's that, like 40 chapters of like, God, you tricked me. This isn't at all what I thought I signed up for. Like, we just did Jonah this past spring. Jonah's mad the whole book. The book ends with Jonah mad. There's no like bow at the end of it, like, ah, you know, Jonah like finally like, you know, met the one and it just became great. No, it, Jonah's just like, he walks away and like, it's like the Looney Tunes circle of like just Jonah like walking away. Like, that's the whole Bible basically in so many people's lives. And then we say, but what if we can go back, right? We say this all the time. We've said this with, oh, what if we can go back, just back to the way it was? Solomon tells us that. He says, look at verse 10. Don't say, why were the former days better than these? Since it is not wise of you to ask this. I mean, how many times have we said this? If you're a married couple, you've said this. Hey, do you remember? Remember when we didn't have kids? You remember? Do you remember, if you have teenagers, you've said, do you remember like when they went to bed before midnight? Do you remember? Then you're an empty nester and you go, do you remember when we had people here? Do you remember? And it's this constant motion in our lives to go back. And the funny thing is about going back, and we do, we do this too at church, our memories of things are like a thousand times better than the thing. 
right? I, I was talking to a guy recently who has toddlers, and he was like, you know, he said, do you, do you miss it? Like, and I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, not at all, no. <laughs> I, I love that season, and it's over. <laughs> but it's easy for us to say, what if we could go back? But Solomon says that's not wise. There's not wisdom in going back. You can't go back. And back isn't as great. But here's the thing about looking back. This is what's so sneaky about it. We know how to get through the former days. Because we look back and we go, oh, well, like if I would have done this and this, like I would have gotten through the former days. I would have... I would have actually started that company. I would have actually done this. Like, I, I see it now. But Solomon says you can't, you can't go back. And we spend our lives looking back. And in, and in spending our lives looking back, we actually don't just miss the present, but then we also miss what God has next. But here's the other thing about looking back, is looking back keeps you and me from dealing with the uncomfortable feelings of now. Because if I look back, I don't have to deal with really the anxiety of the future. If I look back, I don't have to deal with the plans that I need to make. If I look back, I don't have to deal with what's happening in my soul and body right now. I don't have to deal with any of it. So I can just look back. Looking back is way easier. It's safer. But Solomon says it's not wise to look back. Because of this, I love how he ends in verse 14. He says, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that no one can discover anything that will come after him. So Solomon says, looking at the end of his life, he says, don't just long for the day of joy. But know that in the day of adversity, God has also made that day. And I remember sitting there, sitting on the beach, and I have my YouVersion phone out on my phone, and I'm, I'm just sitting there, and I'm just reflecting on everything that I walked through in the last couple of years. And I thought, it was just this reminder of God saying, I made both days, Josh. I've made, I made both days. I made the days that you felt like you knew exactly what to do and how to get through the day, and you hit home runs. And I also got the sense from the Spirit saying, and I also made the days, Josh, that you walked around the Arizona desert yelling at me in the mountains. I made those days too. And if you think back, now, in those moments, God didn't say, and here's why I made that really hard day. I didn't get that. But I did get this comfort of knowing both days were made by God. And for you, as you think back, can you see that God made the good and the hard? Can you see that there might be something in facing the mourning and the lamenting and the grief and the loss? See, it doesn't, it doesn't make grief and loss easier it doesn't make mourning easier. 
What Solomon is saying, though, is that mourning is something that we should not avoid, that grief is something that we should not run from, that adversity is not something that we should see and say, well, this has to be outside of the will of God because this is hard. No, but that grief and mourning and joy are all part of what our soul experiences, all part of it. And many of us, especially if you've been in church for a very long time, we don't have great language for grief. We don't have great language for sadness. We, we don't, there's not a lot of worship songs written that are sad and in minor keys and things like that. We sing happy songs, right? You walked in this morning and people said, hey, how are you doing? And no matter what your week was like, what did you tell them? It was great. Just a little vulnerability, maybe you said, it was fine. I'm going to leave now. But that was it. That's, that's as far as we get. So what do we do? How do we, how do we let go? How do we reconcile yesterday and let go to live into what God has? In the midst of COVID, when COVID started to swirl, I came across a book by John Eldridge called Get Your Life Back, and I thought, this is pretty timely. Because at the beginning of COVID, I remember it was just, you know, well, it's going to be a couple weeks, and then everything's going to be back to normal. And so we thought, okay, like, I could be at home for a couple weeks. That sounds cool. Like, I can, you know, and then we were home for a couple weeks, and we were like, this isn't that cool. And so I read this book called Get Your Life Back, and in it, he talks about a spiritual practice called benevolent detachment. See, the goal of benevolent detachment is to make room in our lives for God so that we can receive more of him. That's the goal of benevolent detachment, to make room in our lives for God so that we can receive more of him. Not more knowledge of God, not more things from God, but simply more of God. But here's what's hard, is that some of us don't have a lot of space for God in our souls. Here's what I mean. Many of our souls are exactly like the thing that every single one of us has in our kitchen. Do you know what every single one of us has in our kitchen, besides like a stove and the normal things? We all have a junk drawer. You have a drawer where anybody in your house says, hey, where is, you know, did you check the drawer? Check the drawer. Hey, where's the stapler? Did you check the drawer? It's probably got, there's a stapler, there's scissors, there's floss, there's pens, there's keys. You know, you have, if you're a dad, you maybe have wires that you're holding on to just in case. You've moved them from house to house to house, like just in case. They're in the drawer. And for some of us, our souls are a black hole of the kitchen drawer, where we're, we're, just, we're just throwing stuff in. Oh, that was, that was hard, I'm just gonna throw it into the kitchen drawer. That was hard, I'm just gonna throw it into my soul. That was hard. And so we start to carry it around. And then as we go to God in our spiritual lives, and as we try to connect with God, as we try to make room in our life for God, we go, I don't have any space in my soul for God. 
because I got all this other stuff in there. I, I, I've got all these things that I'm carrying around. I got this person that I haven't let go of yet. I have this situation that I'm still angry about. I have this memory that I'm still carrying around. I have this person I'm, I still will not forgive because they haven't asked. And, and we, just, we just stick it in there and we're, and we're just carrying it. And we're good at carrying it. We're good at carrying it. You're really good in relationships at carrying it. And so then, when, when we try to make space in our soul for God, when we try to hear from God, we don't have any room. And so the goal of benevolent detachment is to show kindness to yourself. It's not about cynicism. It's not about neglecting things. It's not about resigning yourself to things. But benevolent means kindness. And detachment means to untangle. Because here's my guess about you, because it's been true about me so many times, is my soul gets tangled up. I get tangled up in the things that I think I should do because um, this is what a good Christian would do or this is what a good pastor would do or this is what a good husband or a good father would do. I get, I get all tangled up. I look at what other people are doing and I think, man, I'm not at all like that, Dad. Not at all like that. And I get all tangled up. I look at, you know, my kids, and, and, and I think, well, I, don't, I don't know, like, are they turning out okay? And I get all tangled up. And what happens is you and I just get tangled up in a whole bunch of stuff. You have relationships that you're tangled up in. You're starting to kind of enmesh with people, and you think, well, I don't know if I can detach, because here's our fear of detachment. We're like, well, what if I'm all alone? How do I actually let go of that? We'll read verses like Chris just read in 1 Peter 5 where, where Peter says, cast all your cares on God. And you think, well, I, how do I do that? How do I, how do I cast my cares on God? And so the goal is to detach. The goal is to release those people and things to God. And in that, we show ourselves kindness and we experience God's grace. And this is what Chris read earlier, that this spiritual practice, benevolent detachment, comes from 1 Peter 5 that says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. See, before we can get to casting our cares on God, there's, there's two things that, that are like the bookends of this passage. Peter writes and says, we need to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Part of benevolent detachment, part of letting go and releasing what we have walked through is understanding that you and I are not meant to carry everything we are carrying. You're not made to, your shoulders aren't that big. You're not that strong. You're not the God of the universe who created all things. You did not create the day of joy and the day of adversity even though you think you can. And we humble ourselves and we say, I, I, can't, I can't do this. See, and for many of us, for some of us, th this is the roadblock to ask for help. Maybe you're really good in your prayer life at praying for other people. You're really good at praying for help for other people. You're really good at helping other people, but it's really hard for you to say, God, I need help. God, I'm at the end of myself. Because we wonder if we pray that, will God love us? Will God look down on us in disappointment and say, man, I should have worked harder, you know? 
Like that guy sitting next to you, like he's in prayer that prayer. Here's the thing. You do not have the soul and do not have the capacity of the person sitting next to you. It does not matter what somebody else is able to carry. It matters what you are able to carry. There are things maybe that you carried years ago that you can't carry anymore. And that's okay. There's energy that you had years ago that you don't have anymore. I remember when we were in Florida, I took 12 days off from working out, and a friend of mine, I've never done that before. Never. Like, I mean, I used to work out like six days a week, and a friend of mine was like, like, are you, like, you missing it? And I'm like, I'm just tired, man. Like, I'm old now. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't think I... And I just remember sitting there, and there was a part of me, I said to Katie, I said, a part of me feels like I failed. She's like, you're 43 now, like you're just older. <laughs> But it's hard. It's hard to admit this in prayer. It's hard to like understand this. It's hard to say like, this is all I can do. But that's humbling ourselves before God. This is saying, this is all I can do. But then the last part, this is so important because this is the heart of prayer. He cares about you. See, one of the things, this is one of the struggles many of us have with prayer is we wonder, does God care? Like, we'll, we'll tell ourselves, I know God hears prayer, but I wonder, does God care? Does God care? Like, when I cry at night and I'm all alone, does, does God care? When I don't know the way forward, does God care? When I don't have the words to pray and I'm just slamming the steering wheel, does God care? See, that's the heart of the gospel right there. See, for us to cast our cares on God, Peter says, no, he cares about you. Now notice, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know, because he's gonna do all these things with it. I think it's so amazing that Peter says, cast all your cares on God because he cares about you. Because do you know what many of us need when we're casting our cares on God? We just need to know he cares. Right, have you ever said to somebody, like when you're just venting to them and you're like, I just need you to listen. <laughs> like, I just need you to hear this. Like, I don't, I don't need you to do anything. Like, it, it, you've probably said, if you're a wife, you've probably said to your husband, I don't, I don't need a plan. I just need you to listen. Maybe you're a teenager, you said this to your parents, like, I just, need to, I just need to unload. Can you just listen for a second? And some of us just need to unload on God and just say, I just, I just need to know that you're going to take it. Now, in other parts of Scripture, as we looked a few weeks ago at prayer, we see the power of God. We see what God does in prayer. We see how God answers prayer. We see how God moves, how God heals, how, how Jesus intercesses for us on our behalf to the Father. We see all of these things. So don't, don't miss that. That's part of prayer. Don't, don't neglect that. But don't just think that when we pray, God just does something. God takes it. God cares. And so when we throw ourselves on him and say, I, I, I'm, I'm at the end, I, I cannot carry this, I cannot fix this, I cannot do this, God cares and just picks us up. Just picks us up. See, what we do 
Part of them benevolent attachment is this simple, simple prayer. And it has been a prayer that I have prayed more than any other prayer ever in my life. And it's simply this. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Now, in a moment, we're going to just spend some time practicing this. And I want to encourage you on your Connect card, if you check the Next Step email box, we're going to send kind of how I've integrated this into my life. Twice a day, a timer goes off on my phone where I just stop, I put everything down, and I just focus. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to ask you to put everything down. It's your Bible, your pen, your phone. Just put everything down. I'm going to invite you to, to just sit comfortably. You can put your hands up on your lap if that's comfortable. You can put them down, whatever, whatever's comfortable. I would encourage you not to cross your arms. There's something about crossing our arms that kind of just pulls us, you know, it protects us. We kind of hold in. So I'd encourage you to keep your arms open. One of the things that, that we see throughout church history when it comes to breathing is that one of the things that, that so many church mothers and fathers believed was that when they breathed deeply in, they were breathing in the presence of God and they were breathing out their worries and their cares. And one of the things that I do as I, as I practice this is I just, I just think, just breathing in the presence of God and breathing out. I want to invite you to just take some deep breaths. And then just say, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. And just repeat that. One of the practices throughout church history is just praying a one-line prayer, what they call a breath prayer, over and over. Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. Jesus, we throw ourselves on your care because you care for us. God, we carry so much, so many things from the last few years, so many losses, so many things that we can't go back. So, Father, help us to release to you everyone and everything that we carry. Tomorrow on the Next Step email, we're going to send not only how to do this, how to implement this into your life and practice, but one of the things that I've started to do is just as I pray and just release everyone and everything, I start to list out what I'm, what I'm releasing, who I'm releasing, 
the situation. And I want to encourage you, if you start to feel like you're taking it back from God, because we'll do that, we'll, we'll take it back, we'll, we'll go, okay, I released it, but now I'll take it back. To just give yourself grace, release it. One of the things I've started to do that's been incredibly helpful is when I find myself taking it back or I find myself getting frustrated about something is I actually have started to just list out why I'm thankful for that person or that thing. And I've found my grip loosening. And, and so as we close today, one of the things we're gonna do, we're just gonna sing a song together. It's called New Wine, we've sung it before. But it's a reminder of what God is doing in the adversity and in the pressing. Because some of us right now, we're, we're in the pressing. Some of you are feeling the pressing. You're in the day of adversity still. And you're wondering, does God care? God know? Is God here? And in the pressing, God is at work, God is moving, and God cares, and God picks us up and carries us. And so I want to invite you to just stand as we just declare this together. If you just want to listen and have the band sing over you, that's okay. We're just going to sing about what God does in the pressing.